mic on? Better be. Better be. Got a great episode for you. How do I know this? Because I've already recorded the second half, an interview with my friend and comedian, Ruben Paul. But first, I'm out of knee surgery. I said something stupid before knee surgery. Thank God I didn't say something stupid after knee surgery. I'm, uh, my biggest fear was uh, I was going to come out of the anesthesia and yell something stupid and get canceled and defecate myself. But that didn't happen. Uh, but I did say something stupid on the Mark Marin podcast. Uh, I, I hate when I say something stupid that people, you know, I just hate it. I hate it. I, I was telling this story about <clears throat> when I graduated from college, my resume, <clears throat> something stuck in my throat. It was going great until something got stuck in my throat. <clears throat> I was talking about on the Mark Marin podcast. And by the way, thank you, Mark, for having me on. It's really introduced me to some, some great uh, new listeners and fans and whatever you want to call them, your audience. So it's really cool. On the podcast, I was talking about how my family makes fun of me every time we get together and says, thank you for you consideration. Because on my cover letter for my resume, when I actually tried to get a job, and one of the reasons I never had a job was because of this crappy cover letter I had, where at the end, it said, thank you for you consideration instead of thank you for your consideration. And I sent this out to what, maybe 50 companies? And so every time we get together, people joke, you know, my family, thank you for you consideration. Well, I did it again on the podcast with Mark Marin. Mark was talking about how he didn't like me even before the comedian documentary. So I said, oh, you're an early adapter of not liking Orny Adams. And what I should have said was, you're an early adopter. An adapter is like, a, a de physical device that you use to convert one interface to another interface so that piece of electronics can work. I Now, somehow I know the definition for adapter, uh, but I said early adapter instead of adopter, and my dad called, and he said, well, guess what? We got another uh, thank you for you consideration because on the podcast, you said early adapter when you meant to say early adopter. So now I said, you know what? I said, I'm sorry. I'm just stupid. I'm just dumb. I'm just, I guess I'm not that intelligent. That's what I've come to conclude. Or maybe I'm intelligent, but I've got some sort of, I don't know. He's got, yes, he does. He's got great big eyes. And now that's out there forever. Orny, 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 Orny adapter. Orny adapter. Well, Got Orny Adams. I got to tell you something. You got to stick around and listen to this interview. I just did. That's why my voice is raspy. Also, they were shoving tubes down my throat for surgery. Bringing it down. But I am out of surgery, and I want to thank everybody. But you want to hear this interview with Reuben Paul. It's really, it's fascinating. And the interview started, and then within minutes, our mutual friend Godfrey called. And Godfrey is another comedian that I just love. The guy is so talented. And so naturally funny. And he calls and FaceTimes us. And I put the phone speaker up to my microphone, but I don't think it picked it up enough. So hopefully Ernesto, Ernesto Rotato, will be able to boost the portions where Godfrey's talking and we can put out this, this uh, part. Because, you know, I end up telling a story about Dave Chappelle 
And and it's called back throughout the pod. So now you have to have the Godfrey interview in order for the Reuben Paul interview to make sense. Anyway, I am sitting here with my knee, which is healed. I went into surgery. I didn't post any pictures. I want to thank, I, I didn't realize how many people cared about me. Really, it's almost like a mini death. I didn't realize so many people in my life would contact me, truly cared, sent food, well wishes. My parents sent Katz's Deli from New York City. They sent uh, corned beef, pastrami, sauerkraut, Russian dressing, mustard, all the, the bread, everything to make a Reuben sandwich. And it, and it was delicious. And my mom sent in a se- separate, that was my mom and dad, in a separate package, my mom sent all these brownies and banana bread. So I, I've been spoiled. My neighbors, um, you know, my, my neighbor, uh, they, some of them brought over food. Everybody just really cool. So, so thank you. Thank you to everybody. I want to thank Dr. Patrigliano. I have trouble saying his name every time. And everybody at Keck Medical. Now, Dr. Patrigliano, this name, I'm telling you. Everybody calls him Dr. P, including himself. He calls himself Dr. P. I'm not even sure Dr. Patrigliano knows how to say Patrigliano. But they, the reason I have to think about it every time is because I call him Dr. P. I, I wish they would say the name more. That way I would hear it and be able to say it. And I'd be able to say it. It would roll off my tongue, just like early adapter. Just roll off my tongue. Patrigliano. Patrigliano. Instead, they call him Dr. P. Like, the only reason we know how to say Pete Budachev, Budachev, is that right? Is because he says it all the time. He didn't become uh, Mayor, Mayor B. I think they did call him Mayor Pete for a while. But uh, anyway, Dr. P, thank you. And, and the staff was remarkable. Uh, everybody, all the, the nurses, the other physicians, quite a team worked on my stupid knee. Quite a team. And it feels like it's doing all right. I go into an ice compression chamber twice a day. I'm icing. I start physical therapy tomorrow. I'm going to be fine. And uh, true to my word, I did not post a picture of me in the hotel. In the hotel. God, I got to get off the road. Uh, did not post a picture of me in the hospital bed. I took some pictures, but didn't post them. Didn't post them because there's a lot more people a lot worse off than me. Um so the doctor came, this was funny, came in and he, he said, uh, he walks in and he goes, morning. Yeah, I'm, I got picked up, car picks me up at four o'clock in the morning, takes me to the hospital. They check me in. I talked to billing. There's no billing because I'm on workman's comp. They drag me downstairs. I said, what kind of operation goes to the basement? That's weird. And Dr. P comes in. He goes, how you doing? I said, you ready? He laughed. He goes, are you ready? I said, I just have to lie there. Yeah, you better be ready. I go, I'm the first one of the day. You better be ready. Like, maybe you should have done somebody else first to warm up. Uh, all the physicians came in. The assisting physician went to Yale Medical. I thought that was really impressive. And the anesthesiologist had visited my hometown, Lexington, Massachusetts. And she had a picture of herself. I'm holding up the mug on the camera. She had a picture of herself with the Minuteman. Everyone made me feel really at ease. And then the two guys, it was like a scene out of ER, that TV show, Emergency Room, for the uh, younger people, ER, stands for Emergency Room, ER, Emergency Room, Early Adapter, Early Adapter. By the way, Early Adapter, Adapter adapts things that ordinarily wouldn't work. So, I mean, if you Google it, I'm not the only idiot that's ever uh, mistaken or mistook and God, I am dumb. 
adapter for adopter. But now I'll never get it wrong again. And trust me, when I go home, which I'm going home in August, I'm sure they'll go, thank you for you consideration. Can somebody pass the, uh, the early adapter? Hey, what time are you getting up tomorrow? You're an early adapter. Um, so then the two guys wheeling me in, the nurses, <laughs> they had like this. They, they, they're like, uh, okay, we're going to take you in. You ready? Everyone kept asking me if I'm ready. 50 times I had to answer to different people. Every nurse, every doctor, people just kept coming over saying, what, what's your name? Date of birth? What knee are we working on? Over and over again. And uh, thank God, because I got the right knee. In fact, it doesn't even feel like they did anything. And the stitches are so small. I'm starting to think Dr. P didn't do anything. I'm starting to think they, they just, they wheel you in and put you out and then bill you. I'm starting to think there wasn't any surgery at all. I said, Dr. P, I said, I'm going to sue you for malpractice. It's going to help your career a lot because you're, I'm going to, in its essence, say you are so good. You are so good at surgery that you can't even tell it was done. I'm going to help your career. Not that he needs my help. He's doing great. He's already, he's already going on vacation with the money he, he, billed, he billed me for, or Paramount, who's ever paying. Uh, these two guys wheeling me in. It was so funny. They're wheeling me in. And, uh, you know, these guys, uh, it was almost like a routine. It was like right out of a show. He, he leans in and he said, we're about to give you some shit you wish you had on a Saturday night. And then the other male nurse said, you can't say that. He goes, oh, yeah, you can. He goes, if you need some more of this shit, you just go under that new bridge. Now, I don't know what new bridge he's talking about. He goes, we can get you some more of this. Well, I was flying high. First of all, they knocked me out. Then they woke me up. Once the surgery was done, like they wheel you in and it happens so fast. They, they wheel you on this, they roll you onto this small surgical table, which is about 18 inches wide. Now I barely fit on it. And I think we all know I'm a specimen of physical health. So how do other people fit on it? I don't know. They said sometimes they have to put two together. I think sometimes they'd have to put four together or 18 together for some of the people I see walking around. So anyway, and I don't mean to shame people that might need 18 tables lined up, just being funny, but God knows you can't be that funny anymore. And believe me, the conversation with Reuben Paul gets charged at times. So brace yourself for that excitement. Uh, we had a really frank discussion about some things and certainly comedy is a great guy and just really an interesting conversation. I really wish every one of my conversations was like this. I would call him a tremendous, tremendous guest. Anyway, I come out of surgery and somehow you just wake up and there's a nurse sitting next to you. And she said, do you know where you are? I said, Keck medical. And then she said, do you want me to call the driver to get you home? I said, hold on a second. Where are these graham crackers? Everybody's talking about in the apple juice. Been waiting all day for the apple juice. I was forbidden from eating apple juice by my family. They give you this list, right? This list of everything that you can eat before surgery. Like you can eat basically small snack up until midnight the night before, which doesn't make any sense because my surgery is at six, but other people, their surgery might be at 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. Or my surgery is 7.30. So if their surgery is at 11.30 a.m., why can't they eat till 4 in the morning? Well, I don't want to have this discussion, but logically, mathematically, this doesn't make sense. And this bothers me. This bothers my what's wrong with Orny Adams' mind. But I did it. I ate up until 10. 
And then you can have a little bit of water in the morning. And it said apple juice. I said, well, I'm going to have some apple juice. About six ounces. You know, then I'll have a little energy. I'll have some spirit. I'll be ready. I won't be cranky for the surgery. And uh, I told my parents. And my mom said, no, 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 no. no." And my dad, my mom and dad called. Oh, I got to tell you. I'll, I'll tell you in the next episode what happens when my parents call. So they call. And they said, uh, what's this? Uh, they said, oh, you know. What makes you think you can have apple juice? You know, now that the experts, not the doctor's office, that gave me the list. I said, it says it right here on the list. I said, I'll take a picture. I sent it to him. They go, yeah, I've never heard of that. Never heard of that before. That's their way of saying, don't do it. Never heard of that before. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. Well, you know, I'll just have a few. Se- no, uh, you know, I don't know. I'd call the doctor's office again. I'd call. I'd, I'd double check. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll. I'll double check. I'll double check. But, uh, you know, it says it on the list. And yeah, well, you know, I, I guess they don't want you to have it because if you have something in your stomach and you start choking or throwing up while you're under surgery, well, that's that's bad. That's bad. So they want to. They really don't want anything in your stomach. But it's said on the list. You can have six ounces of apple. I want my apple juice. I went out and I bought a thing of apple. I haven't had apple juice since I was I lived at home. I was so excited for apple juice. And then my parents guilted me out of not having the apple juice. Now I can't have the apple juice because if I have the apple juice and I start gagging, now I'm going to die. And then my parents were right. I don't want to die with my parents being right. So I was still on the fence and I was thinking, I'm I'm having the apple juice. I'm, you know what? It says I can have it. I'm going to call the nurse and just make sure. Well, before I call the nurse, phone rings. It's my little sister. I pick up, hello, she goes, what's this with the apple juice I hear? I'm hearing about. I go, what? Yeah. I go, mom and dad told on me? Yeah. Now they're campaigning and and uh, my sisters to contact me and guilt the entire family. Well, my older sister didn't. Guilt, my parents and my younger sister guilted me out of the apple juice. And I never had the apple juice. I'm having apple juice now. I live on apple juice now. I love it. I've got 64 ounces. It's so sweet. You have to water it down and add ice. That's what you have to do. Listen, I want to get to this interview with Ruben Paul. Ruben Paul is a comedian. He's really funny. Blew me away. Uh, this one joke I saw him do. Oh, this is great. This is great. You've got to hear. Ruben Paul tells the funniest story about taking his boy to the hood. And I said, I want to talk to you about, you know, taking your son to the hood and what that tour was like. And when you hear what happens, uh, <laughs> it's really unbelievable. So, This is episode 59, What's Wrong with Orny Adams, and I want you to enjoy this conversation I have with Reuben Paul and Godfrey, who uh, joined in for a few minutes via phone. It may be hard to listen to, but it's about 10 minutes, and then after that, it's just me and Reuben, and it's a wonderful conversation. Thank you very much. Dude, thanks for coming up. Oh, man. I'm happy to be here. This is great, dude. This this is great. I feel great. (laughs) I got to tell you something. What? I was watching you at the Laugh Factory, Uh and I was just blown away by that material, which which I loved. Thank you. I I, appreciate that coming from you, dude. You know, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, it was race material, Uh and sometimes you just go, oh, here we go again. Yeah. But it wasn't that. No. It was the way you set it up and the way it was balanced it and it was it was legit thank you i appreciate it man 
Is Godfrey calling me right now? Oh, is he really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, you know, I knew we weren't going to get through this. I know. Put him on speaker. Hold on. Oh, this is FaceTime. Say hi to him. Okay. We're trying to do a, a podcast. Shut up. No, I'm not going <laughs> to shut up. How you doing, man? <laughs> Are we on speaker? I'm trying to. I can hear him through the headphones. What up, guy? Yo, what are y'all doing? You look like you just, this is the first podcast. <laughs> <laughs> What's up with your hair? You look like a, like Munchie Chi. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. You know, we were just about to go. Yeah. <laughs> we were about to just go on and on about how great you are as yeah. a person. Now we're going to change the topic. <laughs> I got to tell you something, Godfrey, and this is Yo. this is the truth. Uh, two of your biggest fans sitting here right now. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking this is this is the truth. When you started to text me about Godfrey and how upstanding he is, and how not only behind your back he's gone to bat for you, but yeah. he's actually done stuff, which is so rare, rare. in this business. Yeah. I thought I have never had a negative thought about Godfrey. You shouldn't, and it's it's crazy that people do. People, I think, uh, I think with a lot of us, they misjudge us and they think they know us when they really don't. No, but I mean, yeah. but he's just a cool dude. He's just... Can I tell you a great Godfrey story? I'll never forget. Yeah. You know Jeff Singer oh. that used to book... Um, yes. Uh, JFL. I walk into the improv one night, and he's there, and I introduce myself. I go, hey, I'm Ruben Paul. He goes, Ruben Paul, Jesus, Godfrey cannot stop talking about you. Hmm. I said, really? He's like, man. He said, this dude's about to do The Tonight Show. Before he goes on, he looks at me and goes, don't forget, Ruben Paul. Before he goes out and does his yeah, set. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the kind of dude he is. And not didn't never told me anything, never asked him to do anything. He just did it because uh Godfrey's not a hater. If, he's, right. if someone's legit, Godfrey gives him credit. So I, I don't think I've ever laughed more with another human being than Godfrey. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's what he, that's when, true. I, when I told when I told Godfrey I ran into, he's like, yo, he's like, Orny's my man, like my man for real, for real. <laughs> <laughs> 95 Horatio Street. Oh, my Lord. You remember? Yeah. That was my New York address. Do you know? Alice Alice Spivak? Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember who else lived in that building? No. Wait. Who? Dave Chappelle. Oh, you fucking right. Yeah. Chappelle was my upstairs neighbor. It was just like, it was a building of like me, Chappelle, a bunch of famous people, and then models. And all the models knocked on my door thinking I had drugs because I was a comedian. Right, right. That's right. And I would go upstairs and I'd hang out with Chappelle and Neil Brennan at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, way before he did stand up. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> People don't even realize like, yo, I knew Neil for years just as, yeah, you know. Yeah. And then we, yeah. Then when he did stand up, Kevin Brennan was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> I think they're still not talking. Man. Have you picked a else. side? Are you team Kevin or team Neil? I, I see Neil all the time. Kevin was is really I mean, cool. I know, I know but Kevin I, the best. I'm team Kevin. Yeah. Okay. I, I know Neil the Neil's best. Neil's cool with me. I just, I'm team Kevin because I've worked with Kevin so long. So gotcha. I don't really work with Neil like that. Neil, mm-hmm. Once Neil started doing comedy and directing, he didn't really get, he didn't really say much to me, you know? Oh, okay. I mean, not in a bad way. He just didn't really, you know, he was, a, he, that, he, we didn't really talk a lot. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Yeah. 
Kevin always, because Kevin's angry at everybody, so I'm always. Yeah, beautiful. It's beautiful. Kevin, and there's like, there's 28 more of these Brennan brothers that can jump yeah. in and do comedy at any time. Oh, I didn't know that. Ten of them. Ten of them. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Dan, Dan Brennan, he's like, the, he used to work at Caroline Tall Mother's, because they're all kind of tall. So Dan is even taller. He's Dan's like 6'5". There's Dan Brennan. They all got that crazy Irish look. Wow. They all got that. Yeah, they're like they gonna kill you, stab you. <laughs> Where are you right now? I'm in New York. I just got back. I did the Arlington Improv this week, past weekend in Dallas, which was dope as fuck. Yeah, and yeah, it was really dope. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just got back. Cool. And I got a sense at this a cellar in the the lounge tonight. Well, I didn't know we were uh, promoting you yeah, yeah. all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, when are you back in LA? Come up, come up and do the podcast. When, podcast. Uh, when are you back in LA? I don't, I'm not sure. All right. I know I'll be in California when I do uh Cobb's comedy, uh, Cobb's comedy club. Wait you know? a minute. You weren't at Montreal this year. I, I, I refused it. Oh, wow. Yeah, Good. he did. I was surprised. I, I didn't want to. You're some surprised you aren't either. Please. Nobody, nobody asked me. I didn't get to refuse it. What, after 15 times in a row, Orny? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I thought they were going to call it J.F. Orny. <laughs> it's like he was always there. Orny, Shit. Orny, Orny you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't, they didn't ask you? Nope. That's weird. Get the fuck out of here. That's, sh- that's actually shocking, to be all, all jokes shocking. aside. That's shocking. As many times as you murdered that motherfucker. They're like, the festival's coming up. I go, besides Godfrey, Orny, and Alonzo, who else is going to be right. there? <laughs> right, and Tom Papa. And Tom Papa. <laughs> it was us every year. It was us, Every year we're up there. No deals are made on our behalf. <laughs> what a beautiful laugh this guy had. All right, let me talk to this guy. I got... Yeah, you've just made a complete... But you've made my life editing uh, I know, miserable dude. now. This shit is supposed to be about me, not you, dude. Yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna <laughs> to start this <laughs> over. We'll do this as an insert. Oh, no, Orny. Yeah. I was going to say, Alice Feedback passed away. Oh. Sorry I turned that into a Dave Chappelle story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how did you... Oh, 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 rest in peace. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have, a, I have an announcement for everybody listening. Um, my acting teacher, Alice Spivak has passed away and um she was a great she, she was the legend yes and she was really i am where i am today because of alice and she was and she, she was friends with ruby d man uh, oh wow Ozzie, Ozzie Davis's wife, yeah. all right all right bro like a year and a half ago well i just can't okay how did she pass away Old yeah. age. Uh, now you care, Orny. <laughs> I have to, because if I put this out on the internet, everyone's gonna think, "Wow, no empathy at all." Right into uses. He's just using Alice Fever. But I just death. tell you, Dave Chappelle is right upstairs. <laughs> yeah. Bill Russell died, man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's a big one. That's a big one. By the way, I'm where I am today as an actor because of Bill Russell too. So. By the way, Bill Russell lived in the building with me and Dave Chappelle. Uh, little known fact. He said, who else died? Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'll hit you later, boy. Yeah. Hey, th- hey thanks for popping up the podcast. Hope you don't mind if I put this out here now on the podcast. I don't care. The Star Trek lady, the black woman from Star Trek died. Yeah. Yeah, Nichelle. Yeah. Yeah, there's a um, there's like a, a, a documentary or something that talks about how um, 
she got the job and then how she ended up getting a bump bump in pay on the show when they were trying to yeah, underpay Martin her. Martin Luther King made her go back on the show. Yes, because she was going to leave it. Yeah. Oh. What documentary was that, Godfrey? That, what was that in? It was American, um, American television documentary where they interviewed them. Yeah. Martin Luther King. I was like, who the hell meets Martin Luther King on a, in a regular party? Yeah. Her. He just had a regular, he goes, you need to like go back. And you know, it's probably, it's Dr. King. Mm -hmm. So only Dr. King can get you to go back and do some shit. So that you didn't want to do. <laughs> They're calling me nigger every day. Go back to work now. He's like, go back because the Negro needs. <laughs> Why'd you have to say it like that, Dr. King? Say it again. What did he say? What did he say? He's like, we need you to go back on that spaceship because the future of the Negro. Huh? <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> was that Martin Luther King or Bill Cosby? <laughs> I said, was that Martin Luther King? <laughs> I couldn't tell if it, was, if it was Martin or Bill. I got to be honest with you. I was thinking the same thing, but I go, I can't say that. That's racist. Oh, they think they think all our impressions sound alike. I thought no, you was, <laughs> you sounded like Bill Martin Cosby. I don't do Martin Luther King. I'm just doing him slowly. Do Bill Cosby telling her to go back to work? Oh, no. no. <laughs> do Paul Mooney telling her to go back? To work? Yeah, do Paul Mooney telling her to go back do to work? <laughs> I got a question for you, Godfrey, that you can answer. This is a serious question because you're on that Vice show. I think it's Vice about comedians, the dark side of comedy. Oh, yeah, finally, it's finally out. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. All these comedians are on there and suddenly they're experts on Roseanne. They're right. <laughs> How do you guys have all this knowledge? Are the producers just handing you facts and say, Godfrey, you say this is the first time a woman from the Midwest made it on the tonight. Show. Like, how are you guys so smart? Like, I've been doing this for 30 years. I know nothing. All I know is that Dave Chappelle lived in the same building as me. Like, if they were like, hey, we're doing a documentary about Dave Chappelle, what do you think? Oh, I think he lived uh, in the same building as me. Well, how do you guys, how are you so knowledgeable about comedy? The reason why you don't know because you hate everybody. I don't. I don't. I love you guys, but I would no, like. No, no, Artie, you only care about certain how precise your jokes are, and that's it. And you want everybody to get the fuck out of your way. Yeah, but what? Okay, let's say they're doing one on Godfrey. I'd say Godfrey really charismatic. I really feel like he should have gone further in the business. His parents were from Nigeria, and his uh, Martin Luther King. Uh, impression sounds a lot like Bill Cosby. That's, what else would I say about you? Oh, he kills every time he's on stage. Oh, he goes up to Montreal and does the galas in French. Who gives a shit? But that's not what they're talking. Like they know facts about Roseanne that like you guys are. Fe Tell me your fed stuff, right? Yo, this is crazy too. <laughs> Godfrey is in New York and he took over the podcast. Yeah, Jesus. yeah. You knew this was going to happen. Damn it, Godfrey. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. No, just Godfrey, honestly, do they feed you information on those shows? No, I actually was just rambling off because I have pretty good, all of us have pretty good comedy history. So I just kind of rambled up. I don't know what they showed. I haven't seen it yet. I, know I haven't I seen it either. A bunch of hours. Is, of, is Vice of, Dark Side of Comedy? Yes. This British, this British lady interviewed me in Manhattan and, and, and I didn't know when it was coming out. So it's out. Well, how was it? I haven't seen it yet. It's coming out. They're doing the promos now. Oh. Godfrey, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. For people that don't know Godfrey, 
He he ready. Godfrey, he ready. They ready. They ready. He's dying. <laughs> yeah. When it, there are certain comics in this business that are ready, and Godfrey is they ready. He ready. <laughs> when that came out, I saw that. I called Godfrey. I just started going, they ready. They ready. Now, why wasn't I considered for they ready? <laughs> Yo, man. I can't we I can't wait to all the three of us here in a room together, man. Oh, it'd be overwhelming. That's gonna be fun. Be overwhelming. All right, boy. All right. Hey, which hey, last thing, when you do come out here, you should try to come in before you go to Cobbs. Come here like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then then go up to Cobbs. That's what you should do. Well, is this something we could text after the podcast? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, we gotta go, man. All right, love you, bro. Love You're you the do. best. All right, all right, peace. All right, put on silent. Was that on speaker the whole time? I hope. Was yeah, it? Okay. it was. I could hear it through the headphones. All right, let's get, let's get back to us. Okay. Yeah. Let's get back to us. So, I think we're back with Ruben Paul. Yes, we're back with Ruben. And you're telling me how great my set was. Let's I think we. I think. I think I was going to add that as an insert, but at some point in the conversation, uh-huh. I really became really funny, and I think it needs to stay now. Yeah, it was it was hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny you're thinking what I was thinking. I was like. God, and, and let me just say for the record, he has phenomenal mm-hmm. em- impressions. But when I'm listening, I go, wow, Martin sounds a lot like Bill Cosby. <laughs> 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 and usually when I, I I just throw out a name and then Godfrey will go right into the character. And that's kind of uh, um, what the show that we created is is based on. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, genuinely funny. But yeah. both of you are just... So when you start talking about your friendship with Godfrey, as we're going over this podcast, yeah. which really we should just read our text messages back and exactly. forth. Exactly. <laughs> the fact that you're so close with him makes me comfortable with you, which which I always have. Like, Ruben Paul is a guy that I see on the LA scene all the time. And the minute we start talking, we're laughing. Absolutely. We're engaged. Yeah. Like it's, it's a great conversation. And when I left the laugh factory the other day, I thought, why don't I ever try and make plans with this guy mm-hmm. outside? But, oh yeah. But for some remember, reason, we used to talk on the phone a little bit back in the day, yeah. you know, and, um, this comedy business is weird. Sometimes, um, it's very clicky as, yeah. as you know, it can be. And I think we fit into the category where we just kind of do our own thing and, you know, not really a part of any type of clique right. or group. Right. You know? Right. T- 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 tell me this, because um, I do want to talk about your childhood. I'm fascinated that you grew up in L.A. I want to hear the story about how you took your son on the hood tour and he wasn't scared. Didn't you take him on a tour of the hood? Uh, I don't Oh, I said my friend. Oh! Oh, my friend, not my son. Okay, your friend <laughs> took his son. I was like, unless I have a son, I don't oh, know about. <laughs> oh, there's another call coming in. This is uh, we have a paternity test. Hi, like, Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> With that, you're like, uh, I don't have a son. <laughs> like, make sure your camera's good. Um, so, I I don't want to talk about your son for that exact reason yes. that you don't have one. Uh, <laughs> but I also. Uh, now I'm completely thrown because I, I was so excited to talk about your son, but there isn't one. Tell me, you were in New York last week. Yes. Tell me about this, why you were in New York and what show you went to see. Um, well, uh, Tony Rock, who's a, a very good friend of mine also, um, we, he, he, we were at the Laugh Factor and just talking, and he goes, you know Chrissy and uh, Kev are doing some dates together, uh, meaning Chris Rock and Kevin Hart. And I was like, oh, really? He, was, he told me the weekend. I was like, I'm off that weekend. 
because uh, we're on break from tour. And he goes, I'm off that weekend too. I'm going to go. You should come meet me. I go, are you really going to go? Because I don't want to <laughs> right. be in New York trying to you know, right. navigate by myself. He's like, right. no, nah, I'm there. So I go to New York to basically do spots and then go see Kevin and Chris. And both were very, um, I felt like it was life-changing for me in a lot of ways. Mm. Because like you said, I'm an L.A. staple. I've, I tour the country but never really work the New York club scene. Even though I know a lot of the comics from you know, even the festivals or them coming to LA. So you kind of know everybody, but you're not a part of that scene. Right. So to go there after years of not really working the club scene out there and do spots and, and just be so well received. How cool is that? Yeah, man. It just gives you a lot more confidence. You know what I mean? Yeah. Coming back because it's, it's, you know, New York has the best comics in the world. And if you want to be, be a great comic, New York yeah. is where you need to go. All these things that we've heard our whole comedy career. And that I've said. Yeah. <laughs> Although Boston too. Yes, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Too. A lot of great comics yeah. uh, came out of Boston. But just for me and being in the game as long as I've, I've been in it and to go there and to kill and to be appreciated by the audiences and your peers was, was a good thing. It's like, oh, shit, I haven't done that in a while. And it's kind of good to know that you know, the work that I'm putting in is, is respected and well-received. Do you feel that when you go to Montreal? Um, Interesting. Yes. And like you, it's, it's like an all-star game almost, you know, when you show up to Montreal. But everybody's on their best behavior. Everybody, <laughs> absolutely. Except for me and Godfrey. Because <laughs> you guys are vets. Yeah. And, you know, it took me years to get to Montreal. And when I got there, you know, you've heard all these things, but until you experience it for the first time, it's uh, it was overwhelming the first time. And then what, the other times that I went, it was uh, it was it was just great, just like catching up with people you never get to see. What year did you go? Oh, I can't remember. The first year, My and was it year? New Faces? No, no, I was. In other words, Godfrey is what was another um person that was instrumental in helping me get there. It was, well, we're in twenty twenty two. Maybe it was like in two thousand thirteen or something oh. like that. I had never done it, and uh having a conversation with Godfrey. He's like, you ain't never done Montreal? I'm like, nah, come on, man. You ain't never done Montreal? I said, nah, dude, I've never done Montreal. I think I only showcased for him once or some shit. And uh, Godfrey made a couple of calls. He's like, I'm calling Bruce. It's like, who in the hell is Bruce? Yeah. He's like, he's the head of the festival. And I'm thinking, I'm like, you, you, like, because Montreal was like, this yeah. might as well have been a studio to me, like right. a Hollywood studio. Right. So in my mind, when he's saying he's calling the head of Montreal, he's calling the head of Warner Brothers in right. my head. And um, he called down there and he was like, send a, a video to this person or whatever. And um, he was, yeah, he's just that type of dude, man. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And did you do a gala when you were up there? Yeah, I did a gala. I did, uh, what gala did I do? I did a couple of galas, not that year, but um, I think that year I did Russell Peters Gala, who's another friend of mine who co-signed to help me get up there. That's cool. Yeah. How cool. Yeah. So you felt this level of respect from the comics that you're hanging out with yeah. in New York, which yeah. is so cool. I mean, there's, I got to tell you something, nothing feels better than the support of fellow comedians. Absolutely. Which is, I did a documentary years ago in New York and I felt that support go away yeah. and there's nothing worse than that. Yeah. And it's taken me years to sort of like ingratiate myself back into the scene, which I... What well, was interesting, you know, coming from another perspective as, you know, knowing you during that time, it's like I said before, sometimes people will watch something and they go, oh, I know who that guy is. And then when you meet him and hang out with him, it's like, oh, Ornie's a cool dude. Yeah. And he's funny. You know what I mean? And it was, and I, I know in the text you said it was a time you felt like a pariah, 
but I never viewed you in that way. Oh, I'd be happy to show you millions of, I'm you know. Sure. I'm sure. I'm I still sure. get, like, it's bizarre. Yeah. It's really bizarre. And I, recently I did Mark Maron's podcast. Mm -hmm. And because of that and him sort of uh, softening what comedian was, maybe even sort of endorsing me, it's led to just a flood of love from all these people. Like, yeah, hey, maybe unfair. I misunderstood you in this whole thing. Yeah, it was unfair and... and you got to think during that. How old were you when you did that? You know I was what I mean? Twenty nine. I did, yeah. And and here's the other thing: we're aren't we in a business where we understand editing? Yeah. Like when I watch shit. Now the first time I did it, uh, when I did Letterman. After I did Letterman, I said I will never judge a comedian on a late night show ever, ever. again. One hundred percent. You don't know. Like they told me to take out my opening joke and my closing joke the day of. You don't know what's going on that day. You don't know the pressure. So I don't. So the same thing with like reality shows and documentaries. I can now like after I did that documentary, I was doing a Tonight Show with Michael Moore, mm -hmm. and Michael Moore came running. He goes, "I've been dying to meet you for years," and he said, "I saw what they did in that documentary." I mm. I got the edit. Yeah. I got what they were doing. I became a fan of yours and and I have it I actually have it on tape. Oh wow. Like at That's some point cool. I'll yeah. I'll release this interaction with me and Michael Moore, but you were saying this I mean this business is is hard enough just if everything goes smoothly. <laughs> it's hard. And you to think? and to navigate through what you had to navigate through had to be tough. And just to see how resilient you are. Like I'm I'm happy for us who've been doing the work, trying to do the best work that we can, trying to be original, trying to do things the right way, and then still seeing us relevant and still progressing and doing well. That's why something like David Arnold I'm, I'm happy for, mm -hmm. you know, because he's been doing this forever, and now he's getting a, a chance to be seen in the shine, and it gives you hope because there's no – statute of limitations on success right and, and, and comics are very competitive and mm -hmm. we we naturally like to hate people yeah. and being in that documentary gave people like here it is you want, <laughs> want a reason not to like me yeah. here it is yeah. right i i wrapped it up in a beautiful bow and i handed it to you yeah but like in what you just said when a comedian puts in their time and they make it yeah we appreciate we, we appreciate we it never go that guy doesn't deserve it and and kind of tying it into why i was in new york then going to see Kevin and Chris and you know we both known them for years and you know through Tony I, I I know Chris and just to see them in an arena that sold out like we know people are doing numbers and we know people are working these great venues but to see two guys one and Kevin showing Chris the respect and reverence that he's earned and, and deserved and then for Kevin to be on a show with his friend his idol and to stand toe to toe with him comedically mm. had to be gratifying for him. Right. Because in his position, you know, heavy as the head that wears the crown, a lot of people take shot at him and, oh, he's this, oh, he's that. But to be on a lineup with Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock. Right. You didn't mention that. Chappelle opened. Chappelle opened. It went Chappelle, <laughs> and then it went Chris Rock. And then Kevin Hart closed. And yeah. my first text back to you was, I love shows that go in order of height. <laughs> in reverse order. And then I said, I won't say that on the podcast because I don't know Kevin well enough and he may get upset about that. Yeah, he would laugh. Yeah. He, would, he would laugh. And it was... Uh... And I got to tell you my Kevin Hart story yes. in a minute because it's it's epic and it goes back to what Godfrey was saying about me, how yeah. I'm just crafting jokes and I have no clue. Like, I'm Mr. Magoo. I don't know what's going on around me. Yeah, I don't know. i focused on that. Yeah. I'm focused on, on, on me in mm -hmm. my... In so I don't, I, I I couldn't, but I'll tell you the story. Go ahead. So it was just to um, 
to see Chappelle go out as because you he wasn't on the show Friday, but he was on the show Saturday. At the did garden. I mention we lived in the same building? David? Yeah, yeah okay. I, I think yeah. he did. Okay. I think he said something about that. Yeah. <laughs> Chappelle, right, Dave <laughs> yeah. Chappelle? Yeah, and uh, once again, Alice Spivak. <laughs> yeah, and I don't mean to. I should. I, I should clarify. I'm yeah. not. Yeah, you yeah. know, making fun of her death. I just it, to me it was funny. So to see I Dave come right out unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. So the level of right. excitement when he walked out, like the, everyone in the audience thinks they're just there to see Kevin and Chris. Yeah, only Kevin and only Chris. Only Kevin and Chris. Which is already too much of a show. Yeah. And then he walks out in that Dave Chappelle way in that arena exploded. Mm. Like it it was like chills on your arms watching it like, wow, it's amazing to see somebody that loved by an audience. So cool. So he goes up, he kills for 20. And I was surprised he only did 20. <laughs> and then uh, no uh, introduction, you know, quick video of rock, and he walks out, wow. place absolutely explodes. Yeah. He does an hour of killer material. No intermission, no nothing. Kev walks out right after him and begins crushing the room. And I know for him, you know, I don't know him really, really well, but I know him pretty well. I've known Kevin for a long time. That had to feel gratifying to be on stage with two of the best comedians alive and hold your own are they, and, and more than hold your own. Like he destroyed. Are they flip-flopping? Nope. Wow. It's Kevin's tour. Yeah. Huh? And they just did those days together. Uh, Rock is doing his own tour, but they, I guess they just came together for these few shows. Now, I don't know Chris Rock at all. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't. Oh, I thought you'd have known him. No. Because he's friends with Simon. Well, I know. You know, you, you know, New York scene. I, one time he was in the green room with us at the Comedy Magic Club, and he looked at me. I go, this guy doesn't like me. <laughs> yeah, this guy doesn't like me. I'm not even, like, he get, like he looked through me, uh, but I've never worked with him. Uh, maybe I did at the cellar, but I, yes, I did. When, okay, here's Chris Rock. I had to follow Chris Rock for months for months Esty <laughs> always made me go on and Esty's the one who books the comedy cell yes and let me tell you something she's one of the greatest things in stand-up comedy yeah and i mean that oh, she no, loves do. comics yeah. she sits there she watches comics and she cares and she crafts these lineups my god i wish every club had an Esty. yeah i really do absolutely and she made me go on after Chappelle every night or a tell, or for a month or two, it was Chris Rock. And Chris had his writers with him and sort of, he wasn't available really to say hi. Some people are sort of good at getting in and out. And he was doing his routine and he was getting okay laughs. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't killing. Yeah. And uh, one night they said, next week, Chris is taping his new HBO special, Bigger and Blacker. And I go, no, he isn't. Not with that shit. <laughs> and he came out. Um, big, that is one of the defining specials. I have such respect for his pro. I get up there. You know me. Yeah. I go for the jugular every time. Yes. I want to kill. I don't care yeah. if it's a Tuesday. Yeah. I'm bringing it. Absolutely. And for him to have the courage mm-hmm. and to be as big a name as he was and is at the, or was at the time and to go up there and just work the material, man, yeah. man. It's it's um, it's um inspiring to know. And he does that before every special. Yeah. And Kevin has followed that blueprint over the years. Before Kevin goes and does the big shows, He'll do a bunch of club dates to just work the material and get get sharp. So it's, there's lots of examples of, you know, people putting up, putting in the work and getting the getting results. And I think sometimes more of the other examples, more of the other examples. <laughs> but I, but I think for what 
keeps me going a lot is to to know that it isn't over. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, oh no! Because in this business, you know, it's it's such ageism, and they they make you think that younger is better. But then when you look at the numbers and you look at everybody who's really doing something, is forty and over. And and the way you were doing that stuff on race and tonally, mm-hmm. you know, I'm telling you as somebody that you were whose race you were coming after. Yeah, I agreed with it. It wasn't upsetting, yeah. and it, it was it was great. Well, and, I you know one. Do thing, you want to tell that joke, that opening joke? Do you want to? Um, or, or yeah, well, the base, basis well, of it. Yeah. So one thing. Uh, for me is as I've grown as a comic uh, and I, and that's my goal is to keep trying to get better. Like I just want to get better. I never feel like I'm where I should be and where I need to be. So that, that drives me. But, and you'll never feel that. Yeah. Carl it, Reiner told me that he goes, really? if you ever feel like you're there, you're done. Yeah. Cause I'm sure after set, we think more about what we did wrong than what we did. Right. Right. Especially execution wise. Right. So, um, I try to speak. For, I I really focus on speaking, having everything filter through my own experience. Like really made a conscious effort. Maybe like maybe six seven years ago. Like everything is going to come from who I am, where I'm from, and how I see the world. And um, the the joke that you're talking about is uh, you know, being such an LA guy and a proud LA guy because you know my family's originally from Haiti, so. To be born in Los Angeles. I gotta write that down. So if I'm ever on a special talking about it, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, and growing up in LA, um, you know, you just want, wanted to fit in. So everywhere I travel, people always have comics. Always have about jokes about how shitty LA is, how much they hate LA, how everybody is fake. And so my joke is. Um, you know, I travel everywhere and people hate us. And I don't yeah. think it's fair to judge a whole entire city by the actions of white people. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a great reverse. Yeah. It's great. And it's it's funny because <laughs> white people in the audience, they're, they're laughing, but it's just making a greater point on how, you know, things can be misconceived. <laughs> like people think L.A. is one way. Like I didn't grow up in the, in the stereotypical L.A. way that people think. Like they think... You walk out your door and hey Denzel, like it's not. Oh, it isn't. No, not at all. Oh, putting that in the documentary too about you, Denzel. No, you Denzel. guys don't all know each other. No, we don't. Oh. We don't. You grew up in Carson, right? Is yes. it Carson City or Carson? Uh, Carson, Carson, okay. which is uh, on the border. I grew up on 190th and Wilmington, which is on the border of Carson and Compton. So, uh, did matter- Compton bleed into Carson? Yes. Matter of fact, uh. uh Compton used to be one city and then they broke it off into two cities and called the other, the other part Carson. Um, so was it rough growing up there? Uh, it's funny about the whole touring thing. So taking my friend on a hood tour. So when you come to my neighborhood, all my New York friends say Carson is a lot like Queens. Like you have homes with uh, grass in the mm. front yard, but yeah. when you're from Brooklyn, so I brought my boy when I, when he finally came in, he was like, this where you, this is where you grew up? Okay, I gotta, yeah, I gotta stop you there. So that's where the confusion came in. I'm watching your set, and you go, my, you say, my boy. Yeah. I'm thinking it's your son. Oh, hilarious, <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> you are really white, aren't yeah. you? <laughs> well, I never really thought to, uh, to Oh, I, I'm that. so white that when you tell stories, and you're like, yeah, so Chris said this. I'm like, I wonder if that's Chris Rock. Chris Remember, I thought you were talking about Chris Spencer. 
<laughs> I'm missing my Chris's. What do we call Chris Spencer? Spencer? I call him C. Spence. C. Spence? Yeah. I call him C. Spence. I call you RP3. <laughs> I'll take that. Uh, I forgot what I was saying. Though. Carson. So we're talking about Carson and how yeah, it's. Yeah, so when I, I, um, when I took him there, he's like, wow. He's like, this gets dangerous now. I'm not trying to say our neighborhood was as rough as Carson. I mean, as uh, Compton or, yeah. or Watts or anything like that. But we did have our unnecessary share of gang violence, mm. you know, that I grew up around. Um, but yeah, so when he came, he's like, this is the hood. I'm like, yeah, dude. He said, man, in New York, you know, like, you know, when you're like, you see, you know, immediately the projects, everything is stacked up and, I didn't come from from that experience, so just take. Yeah, I mean, you just bought your first gun during the pandemic. Yeah, I bought my first gun, and I didn't like I didn't grow up with guns. You know, my father had a machete and thought that was sufficient. I have a machete too <laughs> for the trees. <laughs> my dad will let you know it wasn't from the trees. Yeah. He, he had it under his bed. You like, got it. These machetes. I can't believe that they can sell them at like these stores and they're like six ninety nine, and it's like the biggest weapon you've ever, it's like, it's a sword. So imagine my Haitian father walking around with a machete, like it was a handgun. Yeah. I <laughs> like love it. He was, he was, uh, he what did was he, wild. what did your parents do for work? Uh, my, uh, my mom was a, um, a baker for a uh, Memorial hospital in, uh, in Long Beach. She was the head baker there. Um, and my dad, believe it or not, was a used car salesman mechanic. So he sold cars, like would go to the auction and, and do stuff like that. And uh, between the both of them, they came from extreme poverty and were able to uh, give us a, a decent upbringing. Yeah. You know, and the weird thing about uh, Carson is I grew up in a two-story, five-bedroom house. Mm. You know, and I have a joke about it. I have friends who are in prison that grew up with a swimming pool in their backyard with their mom and their dad. It was just such an interesting yeah. environment to be all black to have successful black people in the area, but still dealing with. I thought it was violence. more of a mixing pot. I think no, like, no, not, not where, where, no? where I grew up, it was all black, oh. but they bust us to an all Mexican high school that I went to. Olay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we got diverse. Now Carson is a diverse city because it's, it's segregated in a real way. Like you got your black part of Carson, you got your Mexican part of Carson, you have your Filipino Samoan part of Carson. And where then, are the Jews? I don't know where they are. I think you guys have sprinkled in all the areas. <laughs> sprinkled in a, touch, a dash of Jews. A dash of Jews. <laughs> yeah. well, I got to tell you a, a story. I was doing a, a private gig recently, and I they the C. Oh God, I don't want to get myself in trouble. The CEO and his wife said, um, "Hey." After the show, we'd love to take you out and buy you the the nicest, the most expensive drink in in the bar. I said, I love it. I said, I love free drinks. And and the wife sort of like slapped me like almost on the face and said, You're rich. What do you what do you you what do you care about? I go, rich people love free stuff. Of course. <laughs> she said, only if you're Jewish. And Really? And then she said, you're not Jewish, are you? I said, yeah, I am. And I mean, I was... You just had to take that. Oh, well, I'm processing everything. Like, is that true? Is it true that non-Jewish rich people don't want free shit? Is that true? Like, I did. I was so shocked. But why I bring that up is I am Jewish. And I do hear a lot of anti-Semitism. But I'm also able to conceal yeah. that 
that that I'm a minority in that sense. And I even change my name so people don't go, oh, look at look at the Jew. Yeah. And, right away. And you don't it's not like that's not your identity. Right. You know what I mean? But I can also make it not my identity. Absolutely. Where I'm whereas I'm saying, you know, some things you can't conceal. So mm-hmm. I, I just I, I just I think it's fascinating. I think race is fascinating. I think all of it, like when you say, oh, you're you're uh, so, so white. Yeah. So here's interesting. You're talking about race. So my parents came from Haiti and people always go, how in the hell did your parents end up in California? Because most Haitians will go to like Massachusetts. Yeah. Well, Miami, number one, Massachusetts and New York. Right. They're very East Coast. But these white missionaries that my parents met and they befriended and, you know, became almost like a grandmother to me, these missionaries, they lived in California and brought my family to California because that's where they lived and, and gave my parents an opportunity to build a life here. And they were white. So I never grew up with this hatred or or, 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 or feeling of, of anything negative against white people because that wasn't my parents experience well you'd never know that by your jokes <laughs> <laughs> but as i've gotten older and i learned my parents were talking about. <laughs> ah, that's great oh, they were the good white family oh okay. yeah the, we found the one, <laughs> the one good white family. family when you say missionaries you're saying religious religious yeah 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 okay. so my my, fa- my parents uh also with their they those were their day jobs but my parents would travel around to different states and different cities to raise money for Haiti. My father would, you know, would go and he'd speak, you know, do a little sermon and, and raise mm. money and would take it back to Haiti with food and clothes. And they had an orphanage there that oh, they nice. supported. But are, yeah. they, are they still alive? No, my parents passed. Oh. Yeah, I lost them, um, man, uh, almost 20 years ago uh, wow. in a car accident. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was, that, was, that, was a, that was a tough time. That was wow. a tough time. Like when we were talking about overcoming adversity and different challenges that the average person in the public doesn't know that we go through how, to how get to where we do, are. How do you process? How um, do you? I, I realized I was functionally depressed for a long time. You know, you know me, Orny. I'm always in a good mood. I'm always positive. Yeah. And that's one thing me and you used to laugh about years ago. Why are you always, why are you so positive? People are horrible. Yeah. No, I love because like that day when we were talking in the laugh factory, yeah. you and I were just we were just focused on each other, just laughing, yes. recalling stories, and everybody around us wanted to jump into the conversation. Exactly. And we were like, No, 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 no. no, no. Yeah. This is us. Absolutely. You don't hang with this. Yeah. And so you are positive. And I, but yet again, see, I'm such a horrible person. Like, how do I not know this about you? Like, how? I think a lot of people didn't know because uh, some of the mistakes that I made, I think, was, um, you know, such a, a traumatizing experience to go through, especially at a, a great relationship with my parents. And my mom was literally like my backbone, my best friend. Like, those, you know, those times when you're, Having a like, my mom had an uncanny ability to whenever I was having a bad day or something wasn't wrong, my something was wrong. My phone would ring. She goes, "What? Are you okay?" I'm like, "How in the hell did you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I was having one of those days." So, to have that ripped from your life and to try to navigate through this business, and that's I think I kind of um, withdrew a little bit. Of course, um, I wasn't as social, and you know, in this business, it helps to be social and go to parties. And then after a while, when you keep telling people no, you stop getting invited. Yeah. You know, and you just, I felt like for many years, um, I've just been on the outside looking in to the industry that, that I love and that you work to be a part of, you yeah. know? So that was, uh, 
that was challenging. And and finally, I I just realized it was reading a book. I was like, I need I need help. I need to deal with this instead of just, oh man, my parents died, but you know what, man, they were good people. Let me continue with my life. And that's kind of what I tried to do, but it wasn't it wasn't healthy. It wasn't the right thing. Like right. I didn't grieve. Yeah, you got to process properly. it. Yeah. And I remember, but there's no manual. I know there's yeah, no, and everybody's no different. And shocking to lose both parents on the same day. Yeah. Same accent. Do you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have an uh, I have an older sister that I'm um, really close with, and um, she lives in California also, which has been uh, helpful. But one thing that was healing for me, and ironically, is uh, a year before before I was going to Montreal, not for the first time. I think it was second or third time. I had never went to visit my parents' grave, like never. Wow. Were you, uh, you were there for the funeral? Yeah, I was there for the funeral. I spoke at my mom's funeral, like, but for some reason, after we buried them. I just kind of like tried to lock it out. Like I never went to go visit and I was, uh, you know, talking to a therapist and he was like, you, you should go to your parents' site. He's like, it, I think it will give you closure. It'll help you release things. And you have, he was like, I just sent you have so much, uh, great things that you can do, uh, in your life and in your career. Uh, but you need to free yourself. Mm. And, uh, Man, I was terrified. And Did you I, go alone or with your sister? I went alone. I went by myself. And, um, Did you bring your son? <laughs> I brought my boy. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you something. When white people say my boy, yeah. it's their kid. Yeah, it's their kid. Absolutely. <laughs> it, better, it better be their when kid. When white people say Chris, they have a last name to exactly. go with it. <laughs> um, but I went, man, and... um. I don't know, man. I can't, I can't really describe the experience to you, but I did feel like you, like you said, when we were having a conversation, it was just like you're focused in and you're, you're having a a connection. And I kind of felt in that moment, it was all about them and the loss and me trying to be the man that they raised. Like you start feeling all these emotions and, um, uh, to the point now where, uh, soon I'm going to, um, you know, get them like a proper, plot and headstone yeah. and all, all that stuff but what do they have now uh just the basic uh you know yeah. the basic little i don't you know i'm not an expert <laughs> but it needs to do be we better need to start a GoFundMe? I know, we need... <laughs> <laughs> is that why you're here we're gonna exactly. start a GoFundMe. <laughs> well, so, um did the therapist ever suggest that you go to the place where the accident happened no, uh, the accident happened in, in in Florida, but no white um, people again. Yeah, well, to, to, I mean to give you the, was it <laughs> to give you the full story. So my dad died instantly. My mom was in the hospital in critical condition and died uh, fourteen days later. Hmm. So I spent a lot of time out there okay. at her bedside. Did she regain consciousness? Um, she was in and out of consciousness. Uh, to the to the here's here's the crazy part. My mom past the day of my dad's funeral we had to have separate funerals because uh, the doctor's like your mom is going to be it's going to be a long road to recovery i don't know if you want to wait mm-hmm. that long she could be in here for months so we made the tough decision to have the yeah. funeral without her there and then uh i remember leaving literally walking to the car after we left the gravesite. my phone rings and the doctor telling me that my mom passed and then we had to have a funeral for her the following week. Thanks, mom. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Good Way time. to rack up the expenses. Man, it was yeah. it was such a surreal thing. I wonder if she knew. She knew. I believe she knew. Yeah. I believe I, she yeah. knew. Yeah. Because I, I remember walking into the hospital, uh, into the hospital room, and before I went in, the nurse was like, "Hey, 
uh, it's not going to be easy to see her like that. And she said, uh, you know, because she lost one of her arms. And she said she's in and out of consciousness, but I don't, she might be able to sense that you're there. So I remember, I'll never forget this. So I come in, she's in the bed, you know, tubes everywhere. And then I put my hand on her shoulder and she looked and looked at me and I could tell she knew I was. And then like a tear just rolled down her, her face. And she, <laughs> whenever my mom was tired or uh, in some type of thing, she would just do this head shake like, ugh. Yeah. And that's what she did. She wow. was just like, and shook her head. And and in that moment, I, I really felt like she was going to be okay. You know, I really did. Wow. I thought she was going to make it because she, she was just such a resilient woman. But yeah, and too bad she can't see my boy now. You know, she <laughs> I've been so proud. <laughs> Please tell me that the the missionaries have since adopted you guys. No. And then you spent Christmas with the white people. White Christmas. We used, we used to well, I have a joke about white Thanksgiving, but yeah. it was uh man, I haven't done that in years. But yeah, going up to Christmas, those times because you know my parents were orphans also. So I never really had legitimate grandparents. So those missionaries used to be like my grandparents grew up. Right. You know, yeah. so it's just, I think my perspective on race is unique because it comes from a real place and a real place of experience where no, I felt it. Yeah. I, I felt think, it. I, I think you know, it, I wouldn't say anything, oh, absolutely, absolutely. but I just, I watched it and I said, you've, you've reached a new level I appreciate in your, in your stand up and yeah. your storytelling. And if it, it came from you and then he's, you're talking about your son, your boy, <laughs> <laughs> I go, this is a, this is, I see the whole TV show. Now the boy turns out to be your friend from out of town. So the, the offer's off the table. I was like, what? That's, Where's this boy? <laughs> I got to, I got to tell you, my uh, we we got to switch gears. Because, okay. And, and again, yeah. I, I I can't imagine going through that trauma. I lost a friend recently, mm. a close friend, and I'm still processing. And that's not even a family member, so yeah. I don't know how you get beyond that. And I'm glad that you f you feel like you've made some strides. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it 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 took a while, man. It took a while, and I'm glad I glad I did because it's it's almost like gave it rejuvenated me in a way. Yeah. you know, to um, have them with me in a different way and, and to be clear and not uh, withdrawn and introverted and, and just being more in the now and the present. And do you feel their presence? Yeah, in your, you do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. More than I, more than I ever have, you know, but like I said, I didn't process it correctly. So even with, with your grieving time and I tell, and, and it's been a blessing because every friend that I have that has lost somebody always calls me during that time. Mm. and they with the, with the phone call they feel like oh, i don't mean to rehash this but i know you went through this and i go no it's it's actually helpful to me that i'm able to help talk you through yeah the do's and don'ts like there's no blueprint on how to mourn like we said but you do need to mourn and feel what you need to feel and and not try to act like everything is okay because that's what i did for years just acting like everything right. was okay and it, and it wasn't right yeah that's yeah. easy. I mean, that's the in life. That's easier. You just, you know, let's act like nothing's wrong, and we'll just run out the clock until it's over. Absolutely, it's really hard to face this stuff and and grow from it. Yeah. Um. Should I tell the the Kevin Hart yes. story? Yes. Tell the Kevin Hart story. Because so, how do you not know Kevin well? Like you were such a staple in that New York scene for a while. Like, is this funny? Like, just paths never crossed like yeah, that. Yeah. I, I. You know what's interesting is I still take a picture of every marquee I'm on. And I have some old pictures with me and Kevin at improvs on the same, like he's a week before or mm -hmm. after, like on the road. And, and I remember from New York, 
work, but not really. I I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Except when I tell this story, it will make you realize how out of it. I, I And I think maybe this certainly will shed light on why maybe I haven't gone further in the business, I think. And it's we certainly all know, what Godfrey we all said. Know. It's so embarrassing, this story. <laughs> on, on like two different levels, it's, it's embarrassing. <clears throat> I'm walking, it's Christmas time. I'm walking through the Grove. I'm in Nordstrom's. And I'm with the woman that I'm dating at the time. Okay. The Grove in L.A. The Grove in L.A. The Grove in L.A. is like an outdoor... Uh, uh, promenade mall type. Yeah, thing. that was looted during the, the uh, <laughs> Black Lives Matter protests, right? The Nordstrom was... Why do you got to put on Black Lives Matter, man? Well, okay. All, yeah, Black Lives Matter. Well, wasn't it during those protests? <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't. Well, what? <laughs> well, don't call me out for saying something. No, it just sounds like it's like, hey, Black Lives Matter, let's go loot the Grove. <laughs> <laughs> no, we show them our lives matter. <laughs> it's, uh, that's what I would hit. I know. Yeah. Wait a minute. Did I say something wrong? No, you didn't. No, no you didn't. because I'm just, I'm just messing. Because with you. if I said, well, I don't want to get canceled. I just made so many, so many strides on Mark Maron's podcast. Yeah. Let me be the translator for you. If you ever have any issues, like you know what, hold that thought. Let me call one of my black friends. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a game show. You want to phone a friend? I actually do. Uh, Listen, I want to describe the riots that took place a, f a few summers ago okay. without bringing race into it. Yeah. What sh how should I describe it? Should I say... Uh, after the jo George, George Floyd, Floyd uh, verdict. Say Remember that. the riots that happened after the... Uh, or the killing, the, we should say. Yeah, the killing. Yeah. The, the, the white cop put his knee yeah. on that... Uh, African-Americans, am I doing all right? Yeah, you're doing good. You're doing so good. can I not even... Have we gotten to the point where yeah. I can't even say Black Lives Matter? You, you can. You can. By the way... It's just, I, how, you, it's just how you... Just you have to say it with the right terms. Hey, Black Lives Matter. Like, you have to make it a little lighter. Oh, right, let's, let's do a rehearsal. Yeah, Go okay. Ahead. You know, so, you know, like, hey, really, or, Orny, like, you know, Black Lives really matter. You you know that, well, right? We're adding a really now? Yeah. <laughs> I've agreed to Black Lives Matter. I didn't agree to the really. No. This is a different audition than I... I got the sides right here. There's no really in these sides. <laughs> but that shows you exactly where your heart is when you say those words. <laughs> no. It's the tone. It's the tone. Uh, you don't want to say Black Lives Matter. <laughs> that feels a little different. No, come on. You know. <laughs> no, this is, but this is what's scary with what's going on right now. Because yeah. I am trying to describe a historical event. Yes. And, you know, I... I think we know how I feel. Yes. And I, you don't want to get yourself in trouble. You don't want to be, you know, misunderstood yeah. for saying something, you know, saying it incorrectly. And I, I got to be honest with you. I, I don't want to say it. Damn say it. it. Say it, man. I just, the nuance be behind Black Lives Matter. I, I loved how it divided people. The people that didn't understand, yeah. like the people that said, no, all lives. Right. I'm like, yeah. oh, you, you're missing Oh, the whole point. The whole point. Yeah. And to me, it was it was it was so beautiful in that sense that you could really understand yeah. a, a person. But you know what what you just witnessed is what comedy is in the way that the comics used to interact. Yeah. You know, Bobby Lee mm -hmm. called me a filthy Jew the other day. Okay. And that's funny. Yes. Okay. Because I know that's you know, not the way he you feels. You know where his heart is. Absolutely. And, 
there is something missing where we're not allowed to sort of do you feel that or yeah ab absolutely am, am i just no an out I, of touch white and, and I, honestly i think it's 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 you know I, I would never normally say something was harder for white people, but in this, no, you uh, can in this, I know, <laughs> but in this situation, it's kind of unfair sometimes where, you know, I can express myself in a, in a certain type of way. And because of, you know, the societal tones, it, it's accepted. And like you said, you, you amongst friends, you should be able to joke with yourself. And I think, Sometimes that's where white people get in trouble because they all have a, a, a unique one-on-one -on -one relationship with a person of color. And then they take it outside of that. And they're like, yo, dude, I don't know you. Like, <laughs> and then what do you go? Um, I have a black friend named, yeah. and we talk like, Hey, motherfucker, I don't know him. Yeah. You know I, I, mean? I don't even joke anymore. Yeah, I, I really don't. And it's, and, it, and by the way, I don't think you should joke about it anymore. I Absolutely. think that what has come to light in the last few years is the amount of mistreatment and the fear. Like, I think about, like, sometimes when I'm driving, if, if I was African-American, and the fear of being pulled over. And a lot of this stuff, white people were ignorant to. Well, and I'm, ash I'm ashamed to say that. And, and I'm glad that, like, I now have seen it. Yeah, and you've seen it, and I think what's great about you, you've taken a, uh, an extra step. Obviously, you've interacted with black people and have black friends your whole entire life. And I think even though you 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 can't really truly probably understand our experiences, the fact that you're in the vicinity and 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 kind of see what we're going through, I think gives you more perspective and to be able to have these conversations. Mm -hmm. Imagine all the white people who don't have a black person they can really have an open, honest conversation with to get perspective. Yeah. Just like talking to you and learning, you know, that you're Jewish and things about the Jewish cultures, having Jewish friends, and it gives you like, oh, I, I didn't know that. You know, I never looked at it like that. I'm fortunate enough to know somebody. So if somebody says something ignorant, I'd be like, actually, that's not true. Right. You know? Yeah. And that's based on taking the time to interact with other human beings that are different from yeah, it, which is what what I think is beautiful about being in comedy is exactly that. Yes. And living in cities like New York City where you're, you're around, a, a, you know, a variety, it's mm -hmm. like, it's so cool because you realize people are just people. people. Yeah. And we all want this. We all want to be happy. Yeah. You know, we all want, you know, our kids, my boy, to, to do well in life. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I don't want it to be so tense. I don't want this to be like another conversation I, I, about, you know, but I, I, I think it is important to discuss it. And, and I, you know, I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'll sit here and listen, whatever, whatever you have to tell. If there's anything that can enlighten me or make me more empathetic or sympathetic, I, I'm really, it's, it's, I, I get that. And that's important. And, and that's, when you think of the pandemic and how awful it was and all the things that, you know, transpired in our country, you know, some did some good did come out of that. And I think it, it was an awareness from some white people who, you know, we call allies, like mm -hmm. you'd be considered an ally that it's like they go, oh, I never really because everything shut down. Wasn't that yeah. the irony of that? Yeah. Like there was no real distractions, like everything stopped. You didn't have anywhere to be. So as a country, we were kind of forced to just sit and either pay, really pay attention to it or really try to block it out. So let me ask you a question. Is there a way for us to have these discussions and still joke about it at the same time? Absolutely. And I, and I think, like you said, through comedy is one of those ways. But just 
the friendship and knowing someone's heart. You know, like uh, Elon Gold was uh, going to meet Tony in New Who? York. Elon. Oh, Gold. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know Elon. Yeah. So, Comedian. Uh, yeah. Jewish guy. Yeah, funny. So funny. Does impressions, does too. Does impressions, too. Yeah. So uh, Elon was going to meet me and Tony in New York. But he had some family thing that he had to do, and I was leaving. I was um, they were they were playing uh, Barclay Arena in Brooklyn, Barclays on uh, on the Monday, and I left Sunday to come back to L.A. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, Elon uh, uh, was like, "Well, since Ruben's not going, you know, can I go to the show with you?" And Tony was like, "Of course, you know, just meet me." Yeah. Tony told him where to meet him, yeah. and I said, "Yeah." And Elon, watch Stir Crazy before you go. <laughs> 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 he said, I've seen it a million times. I'm ready. <laughs> so to get that reference to laugh, you have to watch the movie uh, Stir Crazy with um, with Richard. Um, with Richard and... Um, See how I did that? I didn't say his last name. Yeah. Richard. Richard and um, uh, my man. Uh, why can't I remember his name? Oh, what, yeah, yeah. Gene... Uh, uh, Gene Wilder. Wilder, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a funny race movie on you know, friendship and perspective. Doesn't and Gene do blackface in that movie? Yeah. And the, you know, that we bad, you know, and they're yeah. walking down and then, uh, it's, it's a funny movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Okay. So, let, so it's, it's Christmas time. I'm at the Grove. And for the people that don't know the Grove, this is an outdoor shopping center that during the George Floyd killings, <laughs> it was looted. <laughs> I say killings like his floral. Yeah, yeah. George Floyd killing yeah. after that. The up the uprising yeah. after the George Floyd killing. So I'm I'm in Nordstrom and coming towards me is uh an African American male with his daughter uh-huh. or his girl and <laughs> Did I get it? I nailed it. I nailed it. You actually said it correctly. Yeah. 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 And so (laughs) he he looks at me and I go, this is a Teen Wolf fan. Now, Teen Wolf is a show that I did for seven years and I think it was still on. It was very popular. And he's looking at me and he goes, hey, he goes, Orny? I go, yeah. He goes, how you doing? I go, good, good, good. And then he, he goes up the elevator and I turn around, I go, you know what? I don't, I think I was too coy. I wasn't like nice enough to this fan. Uh-huh. Like I didn't say, hey man, felt appreciate it. Yeah. Felt bad. So I said, uh, he's going up the elevator. Good to see you. And he said, yeah, you too. And then he left and the girl I'm dating said, do you know who that was? I, I go, no. She goes, that's Kevin Hart. <laughs> I go, oh my God, I'm such an idiot. Are you kidding? She was that's Kevin Hart. And I felt like How could you not know that? I don't was Kevin. know. <laughs> he had a hat on. I don't know. Now I know why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> it gets better. It oh gets better. Please keep going. Please. Uh, maybe a year later, I wake up, my phone blown up. I mean, a million text messages. And I'm like, what is going on? And it turns out that Kevin Hart was on Howard Stern talking about me. And Howard said, hey, you used to be like really jokey and used to like do characters. And then all of a sudden you got real. What 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 changed? And he said, well, I was watching this documentary and this guy, Orny Adams, the way he wrote his jokes and the way he organized everything. And I sort of got the sense that I inspired him. And now I feel <laughs> I'm the guy who inspired him. And I think he's just a Teen Wolf fan. And I have... I have since tried to like reach out to Kevin and oh, go, man. dude, like, thank you for saying that on Stern. And Hey, you know, I, if they, if they perform anywhere close to LA, we got to go to the show. If, if you're, you know, 
we're not on the road working. Yeah. Yeah. You got to meet them, man. I just like to, you know, just say, hey, or just whatever. It's like, it's so strange because like there I was like, not even, I didn't even give him a nice interaction. It's, oh, Kevin, how you doing there? But I'm the guy who changed his life. So, He's it, selling out arenas because of me. Because of you, And honey. I'm stuck in this <laughs> shitty Shasta. Who won? Who won? Hey, man. What they're, 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 they'll say. Think Kevin Hart's doing jokes about me? You know, boys are supposed to outdo their fathers. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I mean, is that an unbelievable story? It I, is, man. But it's great. You just never know who you inspire and who you touch and i think a lot of times when we think you know being self-deprecating sometimes to the point of like i should be bigger i should be more successful Mm -hmm. like we don't realize the people that we touch on our level where where we are when you do but i would also think when i heard that i said here we go my life's about to change i'm now gonna i'm gonna do a movie with this guy i'm gonna nope can't even get him on the phone i call his man my manager calls his manager he's too busy what the guy that inspired kevin yeah that's who's on the line hold on kevin said the next time you're nordstrom maybe kiss his ass a little more maybe appreciate it Man, he's on the phone. Man, my idol just blew me off. I mean, yeah. Can you believe? Can you believe? Can you imagine? I changed Kevin Hart's career, and I don't even have the time to say hi to him. That noise. I'm so busy. Hey, Kev, love to talk, but I'm busy changing other careers. I'm about to uh, put other people in arenas. He was here, like, really, Ordy? Really? You you changed my life? <laughs> I probably mistook everything you were saying on that. Yeah. Probably, but it was probably a downtime in your life. He probably, <laughs> probably was saying, I watched and I learned what not to do from that guy. Can't stand that guy. Yeah, I, I just think it's uh, it, this life is fascinating. It is, man. Yeah. And, and just uh, all these years later to still have a friendship and, you know, comedy is one of those things, just like in life. Sometimes you don't see people all the time, but you make a connection at whatever point. Like when's the last time you ever talked to Godfrey and you, we get on a call and it's like you guys been hanging out. Every it's day. like we're in comas and then we just wake up and Absolutely. continue the conversation exactly where we left. And off. It's, it's funny because some people go, you're like, you're friends with Orny. Like, dude, I've known Orny <laughs> forever. Who's who's questioning no, our friendship? I, I'm just using that as yeah, an no. example. You know what I mean? And I think that's that's cool when you um, meet somebody that you like and that you respect. And, you know, in comedy, that's a big thing. Like <laughs> me and Godfrey talks about sometimes like it's hard to be friends with somebody in the comedy game if you hate their comedy. Right. And uh, <laughs> oh. I have a story, but I can't tell the yeah, story. Yeah, you can. Like, I can't. Yeah, you can. Really... Come on. <laughs> Come on. Well, I put myself out there with the Kevin Hart story. Well, Patrice Patrice was <laughs> the great late Patrice O'Neill, man, had me dying one time because he was friends with the comic and he absolutely hated his comedy. <laughs> really? And it doesn't seem like Patrice would have the capacity to do that, but it just shows you how. Who was it? I can't tell Come you on. that. I can't. I can't. Come on. I'll tell you off air. I promise I'll tell you off air. No, 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 okay. no, no, no. Even though they had some good good arguments, I, I was witness. You know, when I started arguments. in Boston, Patrice, Bill Burr, Dane Cook, Gary Goldman. And what I love is none of these people would mention me in that group. If they were like, who'd that's I start true. with? Yeah, yeah that's that Bill, the crew. Bill thinks I was a, a class underneath them. Uh, but I, 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 I was kicking, you know, with them, you know, that's why comedy was, it was roaring in those days in Man. Boston. 
I could have never did so an what open made mic. You, what made you make the move from Boston to New York? Was this a natural progression? Like no. that's where everybody went or? Yeah. Uh, Disney casting came in and were, they were looking for comedians to develop and actually picked me and flew me out there. Oh, wow. And I met it's I've told the story before. It's horrible. So they said, you're going to meet with the head of development. This woman named Marsha, I think her name was. And she's going to decide if you're going to go to the next level. So you meet with her. And then after the meeting, you sit in the chairs outside of her office. And then the lady that flew me out there, her name was Ann. She comes up to me and she says, okay, we're going to get you on a plane back to Boston today. Oh. And it was the longest, loneliest flight. This is before phones. And I just, I was devastated. But after that, everybody in New York wanted to know who was the guy that Disney flew. This is the the days when there was buzz. Yeah. And there was activity. And so I went and was doing auditions at, I was going to all these clubs to get me on. Like CBS would get me on, NBC would get me on. And the clubs just saw me. So I never auditioned at any club oh that's dope and got passed that's dope and was working all those clubs and well well, just to explain to the listeners um getting passed at a club is a process so for him not to even have to go through that process it says a lot there there's still a club i'm not passed at in new york here 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 really Mm -hmm. i have to ask you what's the club well i well what club don't you the comedy store why? It's interesting. I had a conversation with Alonzo Bowden very similar to this. He's not a, a store guy either. What's the story there? Um, he, from his perspective, uh, I mean, he just was like, ah, you know, just not my t- my room. You know what I mean? And I think in and I get that as a as a as a comic sometimes where it's just like ah, I feel the most comfortable here. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And I think it's just a choice. It's not that I'm sure any one of us could go down there and become a regular and do well, all that if you I want don't, to. I'm not too sure about that. You don't think so? I'm not too sure. Please, dude. I, you're, you're too strong. And I think it's the criteria has obviously changed a lot there, too. So. I don't think so. Really? I don't think so. I don't I, think so. I, I think if you, if Orny Adams put effort into becoming a regular at the store, you'd get into the store. What if, what if you found out that Orny Adams has put in effort to be a regular? I would be very surprised. How long ago, though? Because you know they've had regime changes and stuff. Maybe there's somebody there who actually long enough. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's surprising. But hey, and I work like I was there a couple of Wednesdays ago doing a show for Sam Sam Tripoli. Yeah. Uh, I, of course. I mean. Yeah. I already know. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's saying he's he killed without saying he killed. <laughs> um, no, I know. I know. So yeah, I don't. This business is. It's weird, man. I don't, I don't, and it's just, it's, you know, it's hard enough just to get up on stage. It's Mm -hmm. hard enough to write bits. It's hard enough to not get in trouble. It's hard enough to stay relevant. It's hard enough in so many, it's hard enough to fill the hours in your day. It's hard enough to see people go past you. It's hard enough, you know, everything's hard. Yeah. It's all hard. Absolutely. And yet at the same time, it doesn't feel like, like the industry as a whole which is what I felt Montreal early on. I felt it was there to promote great comedy. Yes. Isn't that what we should be about? Shouldn't you any given night when you go to a comedy club anywhere in the world, see the best that's in that city. Absolutely. When you turn on a streaming service and you watch stand up specials, shouldn't it be the best? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is it? 
No. No, and it's it's unfortunate. It went from a talent contest to a popularity contest, and that was the shift. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're coming up, it's like, you know, I was having this conversation about the uh, the HBO half hour specials years ago when they used to get them, and you felt like when you watch those specials and you see those comics, and it's the message that television is giving off that they don't even realize it is when you put those comics on you're really telling the world that these are the best comics around. Right. That's why they're on here. Right. And that's not the case anymore. Right. At all. No. It'd be like if you went to Costco and you got laundry detergent and you found out, oh, this is the shittiest. Yeah. Or not shittiest, but not the best. Not the best. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like in people, this is what aggravates me about the comedy consumer. They'll like, I'll do these shows and go, I never heard of you before. Yeah. Well, (laughs) do you, do you look outside of what's given to you? Yeah. Like, do you just take what the algorithm, do you just take what the network gives you? Like when you go out to eat and they hand you a menu, do you, do you order what you want? Or do you just go, does a, a plate show up? Yeah, just bring it. And you just it, yeah. eat it. And you go, ah, but it was good enough. Yeah. That's what bothers me about the modern world is you have access. You want to watch Reuben Paul? You can watch Reuben Paul yeah. after this podcast. Go watch his stuff. Go see him when he's in your city. Yeah. But people don't do that. Yeah. And they still think that when you turn on that this shit's been vetted. Yeah. It's It's strange. Not at all. And it's, you know, but, but the flip side for us is... When people do come and see an Orny Adams, they're like, holy shit. And when you're on the lineups with some of these people, the audience could see the difference, you know? But they still, then they'll say, well, why haven't I heard of this guy? Well, yeah. it must be damaged. Must, maybe I just thought he was good, but he really wasn't. Like, yeah. nobody thinks anything's good. Like, if you're eating at that restaurant, yeah. if, if everybody's sitting around going, this is the best uh, oatmeal I've ever, I don't know why I picked oatmeal. But then they, they the the human spirit is just so screwed up. Yeah. The mind. And it's, and you're one of those comics and you know, we all know these, like there's certain comics that come into a room and after they go on stage, the room has changed. And for whatever reason, and me and Godfrey has had this conversation and that's what, when you go up on stage, you want to leave your mark, like you said. And for the audiences, the audience Audiences recognize it when they're there seeing us at a live show, but unfortunately it goes through that bullshit process of them seeing whatever shows and thinking like, oh, well, these guys, if if they're not on this, if they're not on that, then they're not, you know, great at what they do. Yeah. And I just think that's, that's the thing that does get frustrating. But- and like how many times you do a show and they come up to you after and go, you killed. I, I, I love, and you go, yeah. well, what's my name? Mm. Oh, I, uh, you know, it's yeah. like they don't even know your name. Yeah. They're not going to call the, they're not going to go online. They're not going to go on the social media for that club and see who was on the lineup that night. It ends there. It's really bizarre. But if you're cool, if you're, you know, what in the cool group or mentioned a lot, then you can say whatever you want. Absolutely. And, get away. and it doesn't, and it doesn't even matter the quality of what you're saying. Yeah. You know what I mean, it's just, it's strange. So one of my fears is what if, what if, Oh my God, the dream comes true and I'm elevated. I'm anointed yeah. by the universal spirit or perhaps somebody sees me on a net and gives me that special. Because yeah. believe me, I'm ready to do another special. Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, I, I, let's say it happens. I don't want to lose my edge. Mm-hmm. I don't want to lose. Like, I, I, don't, I, I don't think you will because you, you've had enough angst. 
<laughs> you have a lot of hate in that fuel tank. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'll keep you going long before. But here's this great, oh, like for doing comedy as long as you've been doing it and to see people come and go and you're still here. Not, you're not only still here, you're still killing and there's nobody like you. Thanks. There, there really isn't anybody like you, which is awesome. And, and maybe during the years, those people who might have been similar to you or whatever, like there's when when you're on a show, there's no one on the lineup like you. And I want to feel that same way about me and, when I and, go and on the stage. Explain that to me. Um, and I'm not no, no, fishing no. for a compliment. No, abso- no absolutely. Because yeah. I think sometimes comedy could become re- redundant. Somebody becomes popular. Like we know when Dane Cook became popular, there were like a thousand Dane Cooks after him. Like you go in the clubs, like I remember Burr saying years ago um, about a particular comic, he walked in, he looks at me like, Jesus Christ, everybody fucking doing Dane Cook out here? <laughs> I want to get to finish your Burr impression. <laughs> everybody fucking doing, doing Dane out here? And at that moment, I didn't really pay attention to it. And I looked and I was like, Jesus, you're right. Like those, yeah. that those things that made Dane unique, people saw that and started emulating it. Yeah, it becomes karaoke. Exactly. So Imitation. So now, you know, these years later, watching somebody like you, like there's no one, there's, it's, I think it's a special thing when you can come on a stage and it's like, like everybody's coming up doing their own sitcom. Each one is different. Yeah. And I think comedically, we lost that for a while and I think we're getting back to people being individuals, but there's a lot of comics that, are very similar to other comics in style and cadence. Wow. There is so much like gesture stealing, topic stealing, the way they stand, the way they hold a microphone. Exactly. So again, so to get back to the point to, to clarify. So when you, when there's no one like you, it's just, you're orny and no one can, they can try to duplicate it, but, but you're just different. And I feel like when I go on stage, other black comics could be on, whether it's Ian Edwards or, you know, a lot of gr- great comics, you know, they're, they're funny, but they're not me. I feel like I'm a unique person when I'm on the stage. And that's how I feel when I, when I see you in comics that I like, well, Thank you. you know, and, yeah. and I, and I think that was missing from comedy in a long time. Think about the comics before us, like George Carlin and, and Pryor and who, who, shit, Robert Schimmel and all these, they were all so different. Mm-hmm. Seinfeld. Rodney Dangerfield. Stephen Wright. Stephen Wright. Like, there was no, nobody liked them. Even like Jeff Foxworthy. No one liked him. So different, so cool. Even when George Lopez, there was nobody like him. There was Paul Rodriguez before him, but their acts were totally... Innocent. Everyone was different, man. Right. You know, everyone was unique. But now you see a lot of... Paul Mooney, who you brought up earlier. Absolutely. And I, I think... Early on, it sounded like the old guys. Early on, when we started, back in our day, <laughs> but you know, people would give you shit if you're like somebody else. Hey, man, quit fucking doing blah blah blah. In Boston, they took people out back and beat the crap out yeah, of them. Dude, L.A. too is like, yo, man, why are you up there doing this person or that person? It was really. Now it's like, you know, no, it's like TikTok. If it works, steal it and take it from there. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, and I don't want this to turn into like us just bitching about no, comedy. No, what's wrong with comedy? All. But there is so much, the name of the podcast is what's wrong with Orny Adams. Mm-hmm. And there's so much wrong with the business business that we're in. And I, I don't mind venting. I don't, no, I don't. And, you, and, you and I don't mind being realistic. And, yeah. I, and I don't want you to think I'm not proud of my success. Like I understand I've had successes, but yeah. it isn't, I'll, we'll end with this question. Did your career, are you where you thought you were going to be? No. And um, man, it's funny how things tie together. 
Uh, I went out to lunch with uh, Dom Herrera um, one day. Love Dom. Love Dom, and uh, one of the most respected comics of all time, and you know, still doing doing comedy to this day in his seventies, I think. Yeah, and I'll tell you quickly, Dom. I always worry, like, does Dom want to go on after my energy at the yes. Laugh Factory? Mm-hmm. And you know, I I'm willing to anytime somebody wants me to move. If I can move, I'm, yeah. I'm happy to move in the show in the order. It, Dom, I got off stage. And Dom is sitting there and he's on next. And mm-hmm. he said, uh, Ornie, he goes, go up on stage and tell the audience that I'm not going on because I can't follow you. <laughs> I go, Dom, I go, you're setting me up. I go, you're sent. I'm not. You're going to call Jamie and you're going to say, hey, just so you know, after Ornie got up, he went up on stage again. Because people would believe that. They yeah. would actually believe that I would get back up on stage and say, hey, this next guy can't follow me. <laughs> and they would buy that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you, and you know, Dom, again, falls in that category of a comic that was just different than everybody else. Dom was great. That special where he came out playing basketball and dunked it yeah, in Philadelphia. Man. Dom's Dom's great. But so... so- let me finish the story. So I go, Dom, I'm not doing it. I got I to gotta go to another show, Dom. And he goes, no, 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 just do it. Trust me, it's funny. It's funny. I go, Dom, you set me up. I'm not an idiot. Let's just do it. So the host goes back on his host has no idea. Come and say, Dom Herrera, I get up there. Hilarious. Now the audience is cheering like their favorite, like drop-in celebrity. Just, I'm now a hero. I go, shit, this just got worse. Dom's going to hate me even more. I'm screwed. So I get up there and go, hey, uh, I go, listen. I got to be honest with you. <laughs> when you start the phrase, I got to be honest with you. <laughs> Dom left. Dom left because you idiots were laughing too much at me. And Dom walked, he stormed out of here yelling, that guy's not even funny. This audience sucks if they're going to laugh that much at this guy. And then I saw Dom walking towards the stage. I said, please welcome Dom Herrera. And he killed, he had a great set. Yeah. And he, we'd never had a phone relationship or anything. Oh, wow. I never, for some reason, I don't know why. And the next day, the improv texted me. And then the Laugh Factory, hey, Dom wants your number. And Dom called and he said, listen, man, what you did last night, he said, that was real. That was a real moment that we created. He's you great created about for that, that audience. And I shifted it. And, uh, Thank God he didn't get me banned since I'm not passed at every club here in L.A. Thank God he didn't. So tell me the story. Your Dom story. Uh, Dom is just just great. And to have a friendship with him, to be honest with you, was surreal for me. Because and he probably pays every time you go out. He, yeah. yeah. And, uh, Generous. We, we're in the car and we're talking. And, and I made some reference to just not. Like he was very complimentary. And I just felt like I'm not where I want to be. So you kind of have this feeling like. Am I letting the people down who believe in me? And Dom looks at me and goes, wait a minute. And dead serious, he goes, you don't think you're successful? Wow. And I go, well, yeah. You know, that mm-hmm. that feeling of embarrassment. I go, yeah, but I'm not where, he goes, Ruben, you do stand-up comedy for a living and you're mm-hmm. good at it. And he goes, when's the last time you worked a job? And I go, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and it really put in, he goes, it's all perspective, Ruben. He goes, fame is, is relative and it's about timing and so many other different things. And he goes, you know, you should appreciate what you've, what you've accomplished. That's amazing. And coming from him. Coming from even him. Even more amazing. Ab- absolutely. And there, it, there is truth to that, but um, still doesn't make, it makes you feel good for five minutes. Yeah. Cause it's, it, you know, like you said, like you, you made a reference earlier and I, and it's something I always try to not really think about when you say when you're when you're doing this even though it's a a solo art form and our journey is our journey 
but you do feel like people are just passing you by. If I told you how many friends that, that I have that I started with in this business that are wildly successful, and then, you know, sometimes you're stuck with the feeling like, well, what's wrong with me? You know, think about all the people that you've left behind. Do that sometime. It, There's and, a and lot. That's the flip side of it. There's you know? a lot. And very few Absolutely. get to the Kevin Hart, the Dave Chappelle, Absolutely. the Joe Coy. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else is selling? I mean, yeah. there's Sebastian. Sebastian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, there there's more forces involved in that. So the difference between where we are and they are is ridiculous. But you know what's great, though, Orny? And I'm sure you've experienced this. And it, and is even though some of our peers are on a higher level as far as fame, they still respect us. That, right. And there are there you know are I mean? comedians in this town that have sold out huge venues and are not respected. And yeah. I don't care how how big your house is, how what kind of car you drive. When somebody says to you, hey, man, I just ran into Reuben Paul and that guy, he loves you. He loves you. That means more to me than anything money could ever bring. Absolutely. And I mean that in your friendship. Yeah. And I felt that when we were talking in the foyer of, of the uh, Laugh Factory that I go, I, this is a cool dude. And, you know, like I'm going to uh, give you a phrase that we use in the black community. It's game recognized game. And mm. I think in wow. this business. I think we just got the name of the podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> Usually I name it. Game recognizes game. And, I love it. And that's one of those things where when you see somebody who's dope at what they do, that's why even if you look at pe- the, the, the most fierce competitors, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning are friends. Right. You know why? Because they both know how great each other are. Do you know early on, I w- in, when I went to school in Atlanta, Georgia, one of the rooms that I would play w- was Earthquakes. Uptown. Uptown yeah. Comedy. And guess guess why I stood out? <laughs> <laughs> and I used to watch them boo or snap, like go like this to get like a comic off the stage. And I'd get up there and I'd kill. I mean, That's early awesome. on. And you and you kill. Uh, because game recognizes game. game. Absolutely. And, and by the way, there's... There's something that a lot of people lack, and whether I have it or not, I don't know, is this authenticity. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what really good audiences can recognize. Absolutely. Is who's full of shit up there mm-hmm. and who's bleeding from their soul. Because Absolutely. you know what? As, as a kid who's going to Emory, which is a private university in Atlanta, I, I probably had very little in common with this audience. But you know what they felt? They felt the internal so, suffering. 100, 100%. And that's the point that I've been making about there's no one like you there's no one like like the good comics they're very unique you know they 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 carry you know you carry your story when i watch you i feel like i'm i'm seeing orny and to be perfectly honest about growth and development you know there was a time in my comedy career where i was masking a lot i wasn't really being as honest and true like i never even talked about being haitian i was so traumatized Mm -hmm. about being haitian when i started doing comedy my first time on stage did a couple of Haitian jokes and got nothing. People weren't really familiar with the culture. So I was like, you know what? I'm black. I live in LA. I grew up here. I'm born here. So I'm African-American, you know, and just kind of went that, but there's a lot of African-American comedians. There's not a lot of, Haitian comedians that were born in Los Angeles who had parents who were missionaries who were brought here by what But it also doesn't matter if there's a million black comedians exactly. or a million Jewish comedians. It's if you, you are you. Absolutely. And that's what I felt the other day. When yeah. I saw you at the Laugh Factory, 
I saw something that I hadn't seen in you before. Mm -hmm. And I'm just telling you, if you keep doing that and you dig deep into your soul and you pull Ruben Paul out and you Absolutely. vomit that on the stage, the audience is going to recognize that. Absolutely. And you have such likability. Screw you for that. <laughs> 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 Ruben, I, I want I want to thank you, dude. You're 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 unbelievable. Man, this is awesome, man. And and we should you said it earlier, I think before we came on the air. It's like a lot of times there's so many comics that we like and respect, but we don't really spend time with each other right. outside of the club. And I think it's important that we do that. I think it makes us feel normal and makes us feel like we're not alone. Right. You know, and I think uh we should, you know, hang out again, even if it's not the podcast. Yeah, and, and I enjoy the uh, the deeper parts of this conversation. I, I enjoy learning and, and understanding. And so I, I appreciate you for that. Um, where can people find you? Is it I am Ruben Paul? Uh, it... Yeah, I am Ruben Paul on uh, on Instagram and then um, and Twitter. Facebook or Twitter and everything. I am Ruben Facebook Paul. Facebook page? Yeah. All that is just I am Ruben Paul. Yeah. I'm, e I'm easy to find, man. And yeah. um, thank yeah. you for having me, man. It's just it's uh, it's an honor and a pleasure uh, like I said, we've been friends for a long time, but to come and, and chop it up and, you know, to really face-to-face -face say game, recognize game yeah. is, is what it is. But I won't quit. Did you used to live near Chappelle at some point in your life? Well, here's the story, and I don't talk about it often, but 95 Horatio is where I used to live. Uh, they probably are still getting my mail. And yeah, Dave and I used to hang out, and we used to go shop. Actually, I have a really... I have a really interesting story. I'll tell you off the air. I'll okay. trade you. I will trade you for who Patrice O'Neill oh, didn't like. Okay, I will. Definitely. Cool. Definitely. You're going to die laughing when I tell you, too. Dude, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you, man. Thanks.